and welcome to another edition of Digging Deeper with Brian Hale. Brought to you by Hale Multimedia, website and mobile app development for over 25 years. That's HaleMultimedia.com. Now listen in and join me online at DiggingDeeper.us. We're going to move in, into segment number three. Instead of just looking at the ugliness first, we're going to look at how to stop it. Okay, we're going to provide some solutions here. From Kanani Titchen on a TED Talk is going to give us some signs on how to spot human trafficking. Earlier, I said human trafficking or slavery is the opposite of freedom. Do you agree? If you're not free, then you're in bondage. If you're not free, then you're enslaved. Like much of the world has been enslaved to fear. We will not be a slave to fear. We are not. That is not us. But we are fearful for the children out there and for those who are trafficked. Let's look at this video and see what Miss Titchen has to say about how to stop human trafficking. Because where you have an increased population density and um, a robust economy as you do with farming, then you have people who do the work and you have people who manage people who do the work. So yeah, I'm here today to talk about slavery and about the choice that we have, you and me, to perpetuate it or to stop it. So Neolithic Revolution, hunters, gatherers, farmers, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward 11,000 years to today. We don't really talk about slavery anymore. We're much more sophisticated than that. We talk about human trafficking. Human trafficking. Human and trafficking. Innocuous, right? Two perfectly ordinary words. Put them together, they form an innocuous phrase used to describe a horrific reality. Human trafficking, it conjures up images of people riding in trains from city to city, or people sipping their mocha frappolatte while they sit with 10,000 of their closest friends on the I-5, bumper to bumper, or the I-95. <laughs> Human trafficking, now toss in the word sex, well now you've got something to sell papers with, or talks like this one. Human sex trafficking, we also call it the commercial sexual exploitation of children. That's a mouthful. We give it acronyms like CSEC or DMST, I suppose to hide its hideousness. Human sex trafficking. We like to talk about numbers. $45 million spent per year in the US for online sex trafficking alone. 21 million people enslaved globally. 300,000, that's the number of U.S. children at risk for human trafficking each year. That's 300 of these slides with 1,000 figures, and it's enough to fill Citizen Bank Park almost seven times over. $200,000 per year is what a pimp stands to make from just one victim. 15 years. That's the age by which most child victims are lured into sex trafficking, 15 years old. That's ninth grade. But I'd like to get away from the numbers, which are somewhat unreliable and likely the tip of the iceberg in many cases. See, when we try to count these traffickers, when we see them, 
they vanish, they scatter, they morph, they change into the nice lady down the street, or her uncle, his boss, her boyfriend. They live among us, and so do their victims. So I'm a physician. Um, I knew about human trafficking. I read the news. I read about the sex trafficking ring in Bosnia, run by UN peacekeepers in the year 2000. I read about sex tourism in Thailand. Um, I read uh, Shara Wudan and, and Nicholas Kristof's Pulitzer Prize-winning book, Half the Sky. Good read. I knew about human trafficking for organs, for labor, for sex. It happened in other countries until I saw it in our operating room. Now, my family, uh, my families, my, my patients, they feel like my family, my patients' identities are obviously confidential and their stories really aren't mine to tell. But my patients are memorable and they're more compelling than any numbers. And they've really shaped the way that I think about others. So yes, while I was in uh, medical school, I was in the operating room for what was actually quite a benign and um, mundane surgery, except for the fact that this woman had needed this surgery eons ago. So she came in, she was anesthetized, and then we undraped her to clean the areas for incision, and there it was. Dollar signs tattooed into her groin, expletives tattooed into her groin. Now, thankfully, none of us laughed, none of us traded lewd comments about the patient. Instead, we just looked at each other in surprise. And we just figured, well, to each her own. We missed it. I missed it. I didn't see it. I didn't see her. So lesson number one, it is said that the eye doesn't see what the mind doesn't know. We didn't know what we were seeing because we didn't know what we were looking at. We didn't know the signs right in front of us, the, the tattoos, the late presentation to medical care. These are typical signs of sex trafficking right in front of us. And if we as healthcare professionals don't make it our business to learn about human trafficking, then we will miss it every time. So fast forward one year and I'm now a, a pediatric intern um, on labor and delivery. So that means that I have my N MD, but I'm now training to be a pediatrician. A young lady is brought in uh, from the street and she has delivered her baby on the street when the ambulance couldn't get there in time. By the time the baby made it to my care, it was cold, but otherwise remarkably healthy. The young woman uh, sat in bed, quite composed, full makeup, beautiful hair, manicured nails, jeweled, and there was a man who stood in the corner. I figured he was the father, so I walked over to congratulate him, and he stared me down, crossed his hands in front of his chest, and said nothing. So I made my way back to the woman, and I asked her, so, did you get any prenatal care? She said no, she didn't need pre prenatal care. I said, okay, well, how long were you in labor? She said that she had been having contractions for three or four days, but she had to work, so she just took painkillers and kept working. So I asked her, what kind of work would prevent you from coming into the hospital to deliver your baby? And she paused, and then she said that she was a receptionist. She looked uneasy. I felt uneasy. 
I had three or four other deliveries to attend to, so I left. I didn't follow up. I didn't attempt to get her by herself away from her very intimidating male partner so that I could ask her more questions. I was frightened. So I said to a nurse, there is something really wrong in that room, and then I left. Lesson number two, it is not enough to see. We have got to act, and it is hard to act. It takes courage, it takes training, it takes support, it takes a team of people to help us to help others. And we have got to stand up and step in, because if we don't, then it's possible that nobody else will. Now, there are some patients for whom I did step in. There's the 15-year-old white middle-class girl who came into our emergency department after running away from her parents. She had been on the street for about four days. And I asked her some of the screening questions that I had learned to ask after training with GEMS. Uh, GEMS is Girls Education Mentoring Services. It's a nonprofit organization in New York City that specializes in working with female victims of sex trafficking. So I walked up to this patient and I said, look, um, I'm a physician, I don't mean any offense, but I've seen a lot of different kids from a lot of different situations, and I just need to know, when you were on the streets, did you have to trade sex for anything, for food, for shelter, for money? She shrugged and she said, yeah, sure, I needed a place to stay. And um, I traded sex for a Happy Meal once. I took in this information without shock, without disgust. This was simply her reality. Thankfully, that particular patient was not being trafficked, but she was at risk. See, one-third of kids who run away from home are approached by a trafficker within 48 hours of running away. They're approached in a park, at the bus stop, at the mall, even in school. Some kids even keep going to school while they're being trafficked. They live at home and they go to school. So in my third year of residency in pediatrics, I was in the emergency department and I overheard an emergency medicine doc discussing one of the patients who had just come into the ER. And as I listened, something sounded off. She gave some fuzzy answers to questions about sex and about risk for sex, um, sexually transmitted infection. And so I said to this ER doc, hey, um, I don't mean to pry, but it seems like your patient might be in the life which is slang for sex trafficking. He kind of laughed a little, and then he looked at me like I had two heads, and he said, oh, okay. So I said to him, look, would you mind if I asked your patient some questions? And he said, sure, go ahead. So I did, and it turned out this girl and her friends were being bused into the city by their pimp every weekend to work the hotels, to work the conferences, and then they were being bused back to school on Monday. They turn in their homework, they watch their little brothers and sisters after school until mom gets home, they come to see their doctors, and they're trafficked. This particular girl came into our emergency department with her pimp, who soon fled, and then this girl told the emergency medicine docs that she just wanted her mommy. Lesson number three, be prepared to be derided. I People still roll their eyes at me. I've been mocked. I consider it a small price to pay for doing what I know is right. And I am happy to report that many of my patients have been connected to resources, to housing, job training, and legal resources. 
Lastly, um, I spoke recently at a medical school, and the medical school student said to me, how is it that you see so many trafficked patients? I don't think I see any more trafficked patients than other physicians. It's just that I've developed eyes to see them. And I ask. And I just want to close with some of the resources, because people frequently ask me, what can I do? Um, some of the resources that I mentioned are GEMS. Um, they are nonprofit. Donations go a long way with this organization. They house trafficked girls. Uh, PATH is one of the organizations that I helped found, the Physicians Against the Trafficking of Humans. And we um, do a lot of research, and we spend our time educating uh, medical professionals. And then there are a, a number of um, other places, Don's Place here in uh, Philadelphia, Sanctuary for Families, Covenant House that offers services to trafficked youth. HEAL is an academic um, source for people in law enforcement and medicine who work on the issue of human trafficking. And for your definitive resource, go to Polaris Project Online. They have all of the updated stats for the United States and globally. Thank you. We are going to go over to that video. And uh, the, the guy who is giving his testimony has a mask on, not necessarily because of COVID, although it's a good excuse, but it's to hide his identity because he's in the middle of a legal battle right now. It's a shame that the people have to hide. And it's just unbelievable the amount of people that are being found and trafficked. But here's one real person with a real story. Let's listen in. It happened to me. It can happen to you too. And it's still happening as we speak to other people. Um, that's who I am. Can you explain to us how, where it started with you? Sure. Um, so me and my mom, uh, we helped run a ranch called Hope Equestrian. And it was for autistic children. And uh, we tried to build up lives, not tear them down. A man named Jeremy Haskell uh, came into the Rogue Valley as a youth pastor. And uh, it was around about February the 12th, 2006. Uh, he brought a man named Michael Pence to Hope Equestrian. Now, I had no idea that that was Michael Pence at the time. You just saw him from afar, right? And that was the first moment where things started to look slightly different at our ranch. Um, our clientele became richer. And pretty soon, there were bodyguards uh, that started showing up. Uh, with these people escorting their autistic children uh, on the ranch. Uh, my mom asked questions. This went on for about uh, five months. Um, and then I became sick with a very aggressive uh, virus that took out a lot of people in the valley. Um, and then we would have another meeting and Michael Pence showed up again. Um, this time, uh, he would recruit me and several other kids to go overseas, uh, for what Jeremy Haskell called missions camp. Um, 
and I'll never forget uh, where Michael and I actually officially met. Um, it happened at Boxar Ranch in uh, Ashland, Oregon, Green Springs. It's a, a little suburb out of Ashland. Uh, I wouldn't kill someone because our orders were to kill someone. It was a, a U.S. soldier. I wouldn't do it because I'm Christian. I'm, you know, this wasn't what I signed up for. It was supposed to be a church camp. Um, then uh, Michael Pence came up to me and he goes, you do it. And I said, no. Um, so Michael Pence choked me and threw me on the ground and then kicked me in the stomach. Uh, my dear friend uh, Christian at the time uh, came in and Michael Pence threw him down a hill. So there's a little hill and he fell into the uh, little river right there in back of the ranch. Um, as a consequence of me not doing what Mike said, uh, I ended up in a coffin. Uh, and he locked the coffin and uh, <clears throat> I was there for about nine hours um, listening to the man sadistically laugh. And uh, that's what he did to people that didn't do what he wanted. Um, I heard a gunshot, and I, I knew that someone died. Uh, I, I don't know who died that day. Um, I made it out, and then uh, Michael and I had a confrontation when I made it out. And uh, he fought me and many other kids, and then I became severely injured because of what he did to me. Um, so I came back from that camp very injured. I, uh, I had to go to the hospital and, um, my mom wanted answers <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, and then Michael came to our, our doorstep and, uh, my mom confronted him and said, what happened to my son? And, um, and he wouldn't answer, so she went to the church board. At the time, was Ashland Christian Fellowship, and uh, Jeremy Haskell came up to my mom, and he goes, "You don't want to ask questions." And uh, Michael was present, and Jeremy threw her on the floor, and uh, uh, she broke her uh, she broke her her whole entire hand uh, because of how hard. She was thrown. She went to the hospital. She was hospitalized for four days. Um, and, of course, physical therapy lasted for about nine months. Um, and um, I, I was always told it was my fault, actually, uh, by Jeremy Haskell to this day, actually, uh, because I didn't mind uh, the orders I was given. Uh, but it didn't stop there. Um, after he knew that I spoke out and my mom, uh, Jeremy came to me and he said, dude, you don't want to, you want to do this. You, you don't want this, you know, we're just having a good time, right? You know, I got some girls over, they're nine years old, they're seven years old, you know, just having a good time, nothing wrong with it, a little beer here. And I said, no, um, 
So he grabbed this beer bottle and he broke it on my back. And uh, I fell on the floor. And uh, then he took a bath. And, uh, and he beat me uh, in the knees. And then Michael Pence came in to Jeremy Haskell's house. And he said, I just wanted to make sure that your mom knows that uh, it was very unfortunate what happened to her. And the church believes in correction. And this is the correction. And I hope that you understand that going forward. No one leaves the church. David, can you explain what correction is? Uh, correction is when you leave the church and or do something wrong in the church's eyes. So later on, these churches will cut you off of Facebook. They'll control your social media. They'll control your bank accounts. And if you do something behind their back, uh, Jeremy Haskell is a great example. Lee Gregory is another one. They will beat down your door, grab a bat, and they will beat you up until you agree. Whether that's trafficking your kid and you say no, okay, fine, I'm going to break your legs and then I'm going to traffic your kid. And if you say no still, I'm going to slaughter your husband in front of you. So correction is the word, you know, you do something wrong, I'm going to mess you up. And we're, we're talking here about the Mike Pence in the American yeah. government, aren't we? Correct. Yes, sir. Yeah. Incredible. Absolutely. And what's, oh. what, what I find fascinating is this is not the first time I've heard this kind of behavior. And one thing that's become very, very clear on this journey is when you get into this position, God has blessed you with finding somebody you can talk to because yeah. there's not many people you can. You can't go to the police because they're involved. I'm getting that. You can't go to the secret services because they're involved. Yeah. You can't even go to the church because they're involved. I know. And he uses, if I may, he uses the church to this day yeah. to traffic in the name of Jesus. And yeah. he believes, and this is his philosophy, that he's sinless and he can get away with anything and everything. So I'll make it brief, but after that, um, our ranch basically got taken over. We were forced to leave. Mm -hmm. We had gunmen coming in. We had military coming in. Um, and they were moving everything in. And they started building these tunnels on the ranch. And they started building these tunnels that connected to the LDS church, which was not far from one of our ranches. And then they built another tunnel that connected to the police department over here. And they built another tunnel that connected to an old missile silo over here. And pretty soon... It wasn't our house anymore. It wasn't our property anymore. And if we said no, Michael Pence and all these other people that were there, you know, they'd shoot you. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon, you know, me and my mom, we would sleep in different beds. And there were military coming in and out of our house, just right, left, and center. And they used all these computers. They used all these tech in our back room, right? 
And you would hear them, you know, video chat people in the military. You would hear them do all these secret talks. This, this shouldn't be legal. <clears throat> so, um, of course, we called the police. That didn't do real good. Um, the police showed up and said, oh, bye. Um, and we were we were on our own um and i think we feared for our lives because eventually you know they they shot the dogs they shot the horses um at one point they shot the window um i heard people scream in our house and i don't know what they did um but there was this one time that I will bring up that Michael Pence forced me and my mom to do something. And to this day, I do not know why. Um, he held my mom at gunpoint in our trailer. And he said, I want you to torture Sarah D. And me and my mom were like, why are you doing this? This is our ranch. This is our home. And, you know, you couldn't get anywhere, right? You're in the middle of a, a country. You you can't get anywhere. And so we went into this room and I'll never forget it. He gave my mom a gun and he said, I want you to find out what she knows about the United States government. And my mom's like, you want me to what? And so we went in this room, which was our old bedroom and he turned it into a kind of, he, he, it's one of those, uh, oh, what is it? An interrogation room, basically, is what he turned it into. And this lady is chained up in our chair. And she's just this pregnant mom. And my mom goes, um, I'm sorry, what, what do you know about the United States government? And she goes, that man runs a military shadow initiative. He's a terrorist. He was part of 9-11. And my mom goes, yeah, he's taking over my, my house. You're here. And this shouldn't be legal. And then Michael Pence comes in and said, that's not what I asked you to ask. And my mom goes, yeah, what are you going to do about it? So he pushed her against the wall, choked her right here, punched her right here knocked her tooth out and then threw her onto the ground. Then he took the lady that was pregnant and she was cuffed to the chair and he broke her hand. And I remember the scream. And, um, and I'll never forget it. I, 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 I was so scared. And, uh, I ran to my mom's side and, uh, and my mom said, we, we got to go. I don't care if we can't ever tell this story. No one would ever believe it because this isn't supposed to happen to Americans. We're, we're in America, not Russia. And, um, and we left. And we were chased by Secret Service vehicles. There was a black helicopter. And this person tried firing on us. And we were taking old Route 66 out and it hit the car and the bullet actually hit the tire. So we got a big flat tire as we tried to run and we were forced back 
That was the first attempt of leaving the ranch. The second day, my mom didn't give up. She rented a car. This time, we got pretty far, and then we got pulled over by Secret Service and police roadblocking the main freeway of Interstate 5. And they forced us and escorted us back to our ranch. The third time, finally, we got away. And my mom was very strategic. She knew a friend. I'm not going to say the friend's name because there still could be a witness today to this. And we got in their van, and they went about 120 miles an hour, no joke. And they didn't stop until we were out of the state of Oregon. And then we got away. Wow. Just so that people who are watching this understand, James has been very generous and provided me with all the documentational evidence of this too, which has been verified. So I think that's very important to point out. Um, this, is, this is a very, very serious matter, um, but we have all of the documentation to back it up with. That is pretty incredible when you have the documentation to point to, uh, to back everything up. That's fantastic. And that does it for another edition of Digging Deeper. Visit our website to catch this podcast and many others anytime. You can also watch our live TV network, browse our on-demand content, read our controversial articles, or sign up if you feel led to join the cause for defending our Constitution. It's all on diggingdeeper.us. We appreciate you listening, and remember, visit diggingdeeper.us to learn more about what we're doing to bring truth to light.